If you haven't gathered by listening to the Hamptons to Hollywood podcast or from reading the content on hamptonstohollywood.com, we like wine. Like, a lot. Fortunately for Angelinos, wine is at a premium in California and the Bay Area's wine country is just a simple plane ride or road trip away. To round out Pride Month, I wanted to let you guys in on an event that not only celebrates wine, but also the LGBTQ community. It's called Out in the Vineyard, a weekend of wine tasting and revelry in Sonoma, California. The weekend goes from July 18th to the 21st and boasts a ton of activities like a pool party, winemaker dinners, a dance party, even a drag brunch. You can still buy tickets, and I really hope you do. Just head to outinthevineyard.com for more details and to grab a slot before they're all out. Hey guys, it's Kyle Langan, again, host of the Hamptons to Hollywood podcast and founder of HamptonsToHollywood.com. I'm really excited that you're back, and if you wouldn't mind, I would love, love, love if you could rate the podcast, review it, leave me a comment on what you like, what you would like to see more of, etc., etc. So today's guest on the podcast is actor, MTV's Real World alum, producer and entrepreneur Mike Manning. I really wanted to chat with Mike to not only celebrate Pride Month, but also because he's been a really instrumental public figure in the LGBT community for almost 10 years, and he's had a really fascinating journey and experience. So we talked about his time on the real world, his acting career, the role religion plays in his life, and how he feels about being an LGBTQ role model. So without further ado, let's get into it. So, Mike, yes. thank you for being on the Hamptons to Hollywood podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So, um, so you are your first kind of uh, people might recognize you firstly from the real world. Yes. Right. Yeah. Some people might. Yeah. Were you? Um, were you? Was that kind of your first time being in front of cameras? Uh, in front of cameras, yes. Um, it was sort of an interesting time in my life. I was going to school for business, and, and I had been doing theater uh, and acting since I was little, wow. but I grew up in Colorado, and in my universe, there really w- weren't any professional actors, mm-hmm. aside from like my drama teacher. Yeah. So I, uh, and, and I was also into sports, and I, um, my father was in business, so he sort of convinced me that I needed to go to school for you know, quote unquote, big boy job. Right. Uh, so I was going to school for business, um, but because I had done acting and my friends knew me uh, for doing that, um, a friend of mine invited me to an open casting call for Real World, and it was a show I had never watched before. Really? Never, yeah, I did not know what I was getting into. I followed him to this open casting call, uh, and I made him buy me lunch because I was like, <laughs> "That's the only way I'm going to follow you to get you on the show," and that was my goal. Uh, and the uh, casting director called me in the room and I answered questions that I hadn't been asked by anybody and I answered them very honestly because it was a complete stranger and it was kind of a relief um, because at that time in my life I was going through some things and it was almost like I was too afraid to talk to my family and friends but this complete stranger who I would never see again uh, I just sort of spilled my guts and uh, they called me back and I ended up being on the show. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. I, I was just 
I actually wrote about this on the blog like yeah. when I first started, but I actually I went to an open call for Real World Two, not okay. your season, but yeah. I think it was like in two thousand eleven. You're gonna make it real weird. You're like, uh, it was actually your season. Yeah. I was the next runner up. You took my spot. But yeah, I mean, what was that like? Um, what was that experience like? Just overall, like looking back now. Uh, being on the real world was great in many ways, and then it was sort of, uh, it was not great in other ways. Um, I would never, I, me personally at this point in my life, I wouldn't do it again because I value my privacy too much mm-hmm. now. Um, and you know, the simple things of like, you can't have a cell phone, you can't watch TV, you can't listen to the radio just because you're on camera all the time. Right. Um, but what it did force me to do at that point in my life is really be honest with myself about what made me happy and what made me not happy. And I, I was sort of given the opportunity to reinvent myself with seven perfect strangers in a new place, yeah. like D, which with energy like DC. Um, and, and it was really, you know, a pivotal time in my life because I very quickly, when you have a camera on you 24 seven and you're also being, uh, basically interrogated by perfect strangers because it, the nature of it is you have nothing else to do. So you get to know each other very quickly and very intensely. Mm-hmm. And it sort of, you're put into this incubator and it forces you to really get to know yourself in ways that you never have before. And it, because of that experience, I think I'm a much stronger person. Yeah. Um, what did you discover about yourself? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I uh, I actually had uh, up until that point, I think I had told my parents um, about uh, oh, I was secretly dating a guy. I'd just broken up with this girl uh, a couple months prior, and then I was se- secretly dating this guy, and um, and I had told my parents about him and maybe one friend and not really anybody, like not many other people, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a couple friends. And so for me, um, there was some freedom in uh, meeting people for the first time being like, oh, I like you know guys and girls. Right. Uh, and that's how they got to know me instead of like having to change the way that they saw me. Mm-hmm. And so there's something really empowering and refreshing about that. Um, I was also terrified. I was so terrified because I knew that you know, something like 80 million people watched watched that show at that point because it was one of the original and most popular reality shows. And so I was like, everybody all over the world is going to know a secret that some of my closest friends don't know. And so it was very scary, but but I I did it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still keep in touch with some of the people that you... Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just like any experience. You become better friends with some people than you do with others. Right. Um, I do. Uh, Andrew was on my season, and we kept in touch for a while after the show because we both lived in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite person from the show is probably Emily, and uh, and and she visited me after the show in Colorado. Oh, wow. Fell in love with it so much that she moved there. No way. And so now she owns a gym in Colorado and oh, wow. like has like a product line and everything like that. So she actually made her home in Colorado and her boyfriend is works with my dad now so oh, it's like wow. all this like like small <laughs> world kind of thing yeah uh, so those are the two that I probably kept the most t- in touch with uh, Erica I talked to you once in a while um, Josh I talked to you once in a while um, 
that's about it. Yeah. yeah. That's so interesting. Have you ever considered, because I'm sure like all of their experiences kind of um, meet, like informed your perspective on who you were. Have you ever thought about like what you might have like given to them or like how, how you might have impacted them in any ways? Yeah. 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 Uh, what that experience really showed me is that people are not black and white and mm. you have, you know, seven at that, that season, it was seven strangers picked to live in a house, you know, and, uh, and everybody was from somewhere different and everybody had a different outlook on life. Um, but then when you sort of chiseled away at everything, we were all much more similar than we were different. And, um, and none of us really fell into a category. Yeah. And, uh, and that was like, that was a really nice experience to have. And I also um, <laughs> realized what a, a dichotomy I am as a person. Like I was <laughs> the most religious in the house and I would go to church on Sundays and then I would like make out with guys. <laughs> and then I would go and, um, you know, talk about how I used to shoot guns in Colorado and then I would go lobby for the human rights campaign. Yeah. And, you know, I would have a, like a hamburger and then I would be uh, lobbying for Energy Action Coalition and like going green organizations. And I would and I just realized like I am sort of in the middle of all like all of these uh, stereotypes. Right. Um, and I, I don't know, there's some freedom in that. And it was also just like like I found a lot of common ground with uh, with everybody. Did you get flack for those for that kind of? Yeah, contradictory. I did, but honestly, and this was this was 2010, so, so nine nine years ago. Um, at that point, especially, there weren't very many uh, LGBT characters on television that were uh, that people could look look up to or identify with. And I know for myself, one of the hardest things for me to in, in the process of coming terms with, to terms with myself is I would turn on the news and it would be like an 80 year old man with a naked in a speedo with a feather boa walking down a pride parade and look, power to him, great. But I, I couldn't identify with that. I didn't see myself in that person. And so and I had not really seen many like masculine um, men that had similar interests, as me on uh, portrayed on film and television. I just yeah. hadn't seen a lot of that. And so the the primary response that I got <clears throat> for being on the show was, uh, you know, thank you for uh, giving me somebody that I could identify with on TV. Mm -hmm. And I got a lot of that from a lot of like younger guys my age and even older guys and, um, you know, and, so, and some women too. But uh, But yeah, it was just like, it, it, that was a really cool experience, and it also showed me. I mean, now what that's led to is I have a production company, yeah. and I, I produce content. And my favorite content to produce is content that shows people that shatter stereotypes, um, where you would look at them one way, and then they open their mouth and say something or do something, and you're like, "Wow, that's not what I was expecting." And that's the kind of content that I love to produce because I've seen and experienced the power that that has. Right. Yeah. I, I want to talk about your producing sure. too, but I want to, did, did you, when people were reaching out to you and saying like, oh, you know, giving you praise, did you feel a responsibility like to be, <clears throat> did you feel any kind of responsibility to be a role model, to be, you know, what? I, yeah, I, I absolutely 
I felt a responsibility to uh, not get caught up in it um, because, listen, I went from like an average guy in Colorado going to school for business to overnight everybody knowing who I was on my campus and mm-hmm. and everybody knowing my story and every, I would go to the grocery store and I'd be walking down the cereal aisle and you know people would w- walk up to me and say oh hey how's your mom and they would mention her by name or oh how's your dad with everything and mention him by name and so immediately strangers became familiar with my life and it was such a weird thing to me yeah. um, but at the same time it was amazing because I would have bars or you know like special events reaching out to me like oh Mike let me pick you up in a limo let me give you bottle service let me this and I was like I was like I can't get caught up in this side of things because um, at that point too one of the best parts about the show for me was I did end up working with the human rights campaign and it really uh, it really made me excited about politics mm. and so um, <laughs> I, since my mind has changed but I, at that point too I was like. I'm going to run for Congress. Like, I'm going to be a politician now, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. So I was very focused on be, being involved in politics, and um, and I got to go around and speak at a bunch of schools and things, and so that was really cool. Um, but, yeah, I would say that I uh, it was really hard to not get caught up in the... So tempting, I would imagine. It, it was so tempting. And listen, I had fun. Like, I'm not saying right. that I went right to how to be a politician school but uh but it was it i i was very uh focused in what i wanted to do after the show and how i wanted the show to be a platform for me to do other um other things in like the activism sector and like the political center that i sector that i i, I that was what prevented me from being uh jersey shore with the whole thing right yeah, <laughs> yeah. what um so you were in college when this yeah. you were how old like 20 at that point, I was, was like 21, 22 maybe. Yeah. Um, so, so then you graduate college? Did you graduate from college? Yes, I did. Yeah. So then, so what was? So you were majoring in business, and then you kind of your eyes were open to maybe like the political sphere. Yeah. But yeah. then you were also had, you were a public figure at that point. So what? Yeah. How did you decide like what you wanted to do after you graduated? Uh, well, <laughs> this is a testament to the power of social media. Um, this was back before uh, I made everything private, so my Facebook just had my name, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, there was a manager from LA that, and I had done, I think I did like a short film that I had posted online, um, or something like that, and uh, so there's a manager in LA who represented actors, and he found me on Facebook, and he said, I saw this film you did, I watched you on Real World, have you ever thought about being an actor? Do you have any training? And I was like, actually, like I've been doing theater since I was little, but it's never really crossed my mind. And he said, well, um, I think that you should come to LA and give it six months and see, you know, see what you can do. And uh, I said, okay. <laughs> and so I packed up my car and I, like, I graduated. A week later, I packed up my car, drove out to LA, wow. and, and that was whatever it was, nine years ago. Wow. Yeah. So next month will be nine years, yeah. Was it hard at first? Or did you find that ha- like being, that having that kind of... Um... It, was, it, was, it was terrifying because I knew two people in California that right. lived here. Um, I knew two people and then I, my aunt's family lived in Sacramento and after I came out on the show, they sort of 
disowned me and didn't like wow. me. Yeah, so that was a very negative experience. <clears throat> that was actually the only the group of family members that it was a very negative experience. Luckily, my parents and my siblings were all great, um, and most of my aunts and uncles and cousins were, were great. Um, that was probably the worst reaction to everything. But uh, but yeah, it was scary. It was it was scary. But I I remember thinking like yeah I, I've I've always gone stir crazy. Uh, when I was in college, I spent a semester in Mexico just because I wanted to get out of Colorado. Yeah. I spent a semester working at Disney World in oh, Orlando wow. as Buzz Lightyear cause, and, and, and Pluto because <laughs> I wanted so to cool. get, and it was an internship. They paid me, like I was being paid to go just because I was getting stir crazy in Colorado. So I've always been somebody that like, you know, if somebody's like, Change oh, jump off, you know, jump off this, you know, the, the, the into the river over there and, you know, I'll, I'm like the first idiot that does it. But... Uh, I'm still alive. Yeah, <laughs> it's, done, it, it's it's done me well so far. So I I basically took it as as a sign that uh, that I wanted to go in this next chapter of my life, this adventure. I moved out here uh, and then um, and then started auditioning. I would feel like I would have such like a chip on my shoulder almost, or because you know coming from getting getting yeah. tempted to yeah. all the you know the limos whatever and then coming to LA like I'd be like this yeah. is it people like honestly, know me. well honestly it was a it was kind of a rude awakening cuz I went here and I was like oh I'm going to I have a manager already yeah. I'm going to be I'm going to uh, oh this is a funny story so my first ever audition was for the Red Ranger first audition no in way. California uh, I get I get off you know get off the boat but not literally <laughs> I get out of my car I unpack I have my apartment uh, you know the that's my first week my second week I meet with the manager my third week here he knows the casting director for Power Rangers so he sends me wow. in and I didn't know what I was doing so I go in there and I read for it and they say okay you have a callback we want you back. I read, went in and went for the producers. I go in and it's a chemistry read. And it's me and it's between, and they had us picked, it was us five, uh, like the, the red and oh, the other rangers. And, like the five rangers. <laughs> and then there was an, another five rangers and they were deciding on which group they were gonna pick. And it was, so it was between like me and one other guy. Wow. And I signed the contract and it was more money than I thought I would make in my first like year uh, by far in right. Los Angeles. It was, uh, I think it was something like eight months in New Zealand. Wow. I was like, great, I'm gonna learn how to surf. This is great. And I was like, I was like, oh, this acting shit, this is easy. Like people say this is so hard, this is so easy. And, uh, and, and then I didn't get it. They picked the other guy. And for the next like three or four months, uh, nothing. Like wow. I, I auditioned a couple times. No callbacks, uh, nothing. Were you working like in any other capacity or were you? Uh, well, luckily for the first year I was actually in Los Angeles, I was traveling around and I was doing, I was speaking at colleges and universities oh, okay. about activism and voting and uh, equal rights and, and that sort of thing. Um, and so I, w I did, I was very, very blessed that I got to like go around and, and that was my job. Like I would get paid to go and inspire people. So, like, so cool, why yeah. not? So th the first year in Los Angeles, I did that a lot. Um, and then I would, I would balance that with like, try not to get swept up in, oh, I'm new to, you know, mm -hmm. Hollywood and West Hollywood and let's go out to the bars. Right. Um, but yeah, and then it was funny because when I when I told my mom, I was like, "Mom, I'm just gonna give it six months. I'll live in Los Angeles, and let's just see how it goes." And it had been like five months and two weeks, and I hadn't booked a thing. And I was sad. And I was in acting class. Like I really, I took it seriously. I was in two different classes, hadn't booked anything. 
And my mom was like, well, do you want to come back home? And I was like, you know what? I said six months, I'm going to do six months. And uh, the next week I booked my first thing. Wow. And it was like this, it was not, it was like a tiny little student film, but it was enough for me to stay. Yeah. And then right after I did that, I booked something else, booked something else. And then luckily since then, I've been really, really fortunate that I've, I've been uh, keeping busy and, and I haven't had to like have a bunch of other jobs, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think every actor goes through like a, worked for a caterer for a while like sure. I've definitely had the jobs to pay the bills but um, but yeah it was it's been pretty consistent since then that's, cr- that's yeah. so good yeah I always remember like thinking like I used to want to become an actor as well and I was yeah. thinking oh like you know because um, a lot of not a lot but I guess like there was definitely people who were maybe in a similar position like being on a reality TV show mm-hmm. in real world or not and then it kind of trying to balance like an actual like legitimate acting career afterwards. Well, yeah, for the first, I would say three years that I was in Los Angeles, I didn't tell anybody I was on the real world. Oh, really? I didn't talk about it. I didn't have it on my resume. I didn't have like wow. it on my website. I didn't, cause I was so insecure. I think things are different now, but I think back then, um, especially you were either a reality person mm-hmm. or you were an actor. And I went here, and I and I made some friends in acting class that were like thespians, you know. And I and I felt so out of place, and I felt like such the underdog. And I'm like, wow, you've been doing this for years and years. And and I had too, right? In, in my like, yeah. rightfully so. I had absolutely been training since I was like 13 years old. But um, for me, it was almost like I was, you know, I was absolutely starting over in Los Angeles. And all of these other people around me were so much more talented than me. Right. So in my mind, you know, it, that's what I thought. And then in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, I already have enough against me. I'm not going to talk about real world because then they'll look down on me even more. Um, and then once I started booking, I sort of, that changed. I was like, you know what? This is actually part of me and who I am. Yeah. And I do think the industry has changed too. I think that people are much more, there are, there are brilliant actors that have done you know reality shows or, or appeared on as hosts on things mm-hmm. and you have like the cast of game of thrones the cast of game of thrones was on rupaul's drag race doing like you know yeah. guest, guest hosting right it's like and you have people doing celebrity chef and this and that it's like the crossover is so much more uh i mean they the lines are so blurred now right that, that i think now it's like really fun to talk about but yeah definitely for those first like three years i was very insecure about and it. i think also like you would get I would be afraid to get pigeonholed, like being yeah. like the bi guy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, what are they gonna? I'm only gonna get like offered LGBT parts or whatever. Yeah, no, it's absolutely it was a fear. Um, what makes you kind of like say yes to doing, to a job, doing acting? To a job? Yeah. Um, do you have money? No. Uh, <laughs> no. Honestly, well, so for a while it was just like I took any job I could get. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of my first uh, feature films was this film called Ginger Dead Man oh. 3. So instead of like Gingerbread Man, it's like a Ginger Dead Man. And I played this guy that's like having sex with his girlfriend in a closet and he gets nail gunned to death by a gingerbread cookie. And it's like this evil, and I think that Gary Busey's the voice of this evil gingerbread that's cookie, which kind of makes sense, right? Like, <laughs> you think about it, you're like, oh, okay, Gary Busey. Uh, so that was like one of my first jobs and it was because a friend of mine was a producer on the, sh- on the thing wow. and he was like, hey, Mike, do you want to do it? And I was like, do I get a credit? Yes, of course. And I, so, so, there was definitely a point in my life where I would take any job just to sort of get the experience, mm-hmm. meet people, uh, 
feel like you know I wasn't wasting my time yeah uh, moving away from all my family and friends in Colorado right uh, nowadays you know I'm, I'm definitely much more picky like it has to be a good script it has to be a good director it has to be people that actually care about what they're making because mm-hmm. um, there's so much crap out there you know nowadays and at, it's so easy to pick up a camera and start shooting right but it doesn't mean you should right. and uh, and um, on the flip side though there's there's just as many like great people to work with and and so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely more particular about um, about what I do but I've also been really lucky, uh, you know, like we were talking about producing, and um, and I've been I started producing randomly. Uh, I started producing documentaries. Um, Kidnapped for Christ, right? Yeah, that was your Kidnapped first one. Yep, yeah. So Kidnapped for Christ uh, was interesting. So I had just uh, I was just on a Disney show at that point. Um, I was on this show called Crash and Bernstein. I think I'd done like Hawaii Five O, and like maybe a couple other guest stars and like smaller films. Um, but I was like making my living as an actor and I was completely focused on that. I was like in like, you know, groundlings and these like drama over here and comedy over here. And I was like very focused on, um, making, you know, living, eating, breathing, sleeping, like being an actor. Um, and a friend of mine calls me from Colorado who I met in college and he calls me and he asks if he could stay, uh, sleep on my couch while he's doing an interview for this documentary and I said sh- I didn't even think about it I was like sure cool come over so he flies from Colorado uh, stays on my couch and we the first night he's there we like end up having some tequila and he opens up to me and this guy he uh, was like a he was like a straight-A student he wanted to be a doctor he like did sports and he was such a sweet sweet person like a golden child and, and that's how I had met him when he was like 20 or something like that. I just met him like that. Um, when he was 17, he came out to his parents and they had him taken from his house in the middle of the night, sent to a reform camp in the Dominican Republic. And he was like abused there for months until they got him out. And, and this documentary filmmaker wanted to do an interview uh, about him for this film. So he, he we're at my house, at my, at my apartment, and we're... Uh, he opens up and he tells me the story and by the end of it I'm in tears I'm like man you're my friend and you're such a sweet kind human being like I can't believe this happened to you yeah and um, and I said well I want to I want to meet this filmmaker and it was this filmmaker who I came to find out she had all this footage uh, and all this amazing access to this camp and she had all this footage of like this abuse happening and like all this like this footage that would really make a, a wonderful impactful film she didn't know what to do with it. She's like, look, this is my first film. Mm. I'm figuring it out. And I was like, well, I've never produced before. I'll figure it out too. And we sort of did it together and piece by piece, like this company joined and this producer joined and this, you know, and then like Lance Bass yeah. got up, came on board and he signed on. And then we did like this social media campaign and we raised a bunch of money. And it was this really, um, it was definitely like a trial by fire. Like I was learning as I was going. Um, which is like the best way to learn. Which is, you know, I learned. I worked with Tom DeSanto on that one. And he produced like X-Men and Transformers and, yeah. you know, and, and working for six months with Tom is like four years in how to be a producer school. Right. And, and uh, so I actually followed that filmmaker. We sold that to Showtime. Uh, and then I followed her to her next documentary. And then I started producing documentaries just wow. because. And, uh, and for me, it sort of fulfilled that political itch yeah. that I left behind when I moved here. Because um, it was either moved to, I was in Colorado, it was either moved to D.C. 
and actually try to pursue politics or move to LA. And I chose LA, but um, I think making document like political documentaries was a way to sort of scratch that itch and felt feel like I was putting positive content out into the world that you know that would affect people. Right, for sure, with like an agenda, like a positive agenda. Yeah. 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 What do you have a preference of what you like to do more, acting or producing? Ah, uh, yeah. Um, honestly, I would say it. It all depends on the story. Yeah. Uh, for instance, one of the last films that I was involved with as a producer was this film called Jin, and the film is about a young, uh, a young seventeen-year-old black girl who uh, it's like a coming-of-age story, and she is a dancer and she's popular and she's confident. Uh, her mother uh, is a local weather woman, so sort of like a local celebrity, and her mother um, decides to convert to Islam, and she wears a hijab while giving the news. And we see this young woman's story, uh, the 17-year-old girl, and, and we see her being discriminated against for the first time, not for being black in America, but for being Muslim in America. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was like a coming-of-age story about her story. And for me, I had no place in front of the camera, yeah, really, you know, I, uh, I, but I met the this really powerful uh, team of of filmmakers, and it was this this writer director who she wrote. It was her script, and then it was this producer, and they were like both these like badass black women that had like this film that they really wanted to make, and I was like, you know what, I am. I'm like, and I we were on set, and I'm like, I'm the only white dude like in this room, and I'm supporting these badass women, and I am completely okay with that. Yeah. And it was such a cool experience, and um, that's really cool. And that's it's actually my, that's that was my fourth film, producing like on the producing side, with a female director. Wow. Which that's which, rare. Yeah, yeah. Which and I think it's becoming more common, um, but I yeah it's it was it's. I find myself really, really enjoying supporting powerful women tell their stories, uh, which is awesome. Yeah, which which it's like I'm like, listen, I've been supporting these women before. <laughs> this before was cool, you know? <laughs> but no, it's just I, I think that everybody deserves to tell their story, and there's been such a lack of those types of stories for so long um, that I feel like so many of these women are just now. Uh, it means so much to them because now they're able to like tell their stories on um, even playing field mm-hmm. with guys that have just been telling these their you know men centric stories for so long that right. um, yeah it's weird like producing has sort of made me a feminist that's <laughs> great in a strange way yeah which I never thought that I'd say but what? and I don't think I've ever said that out loud until just now <laughs> getting the scoop yeah <laughs> there it is, there it is. Um, what if, so when going back to kidnap for Christ for a second so you said you were religious growing up Mm -hmm. and what what was that kind of the process of making that like for you who identified as being lgbt but also being like religious and and Mm -hmm. and the content of the film is based upon like you know converting someone because of religion like how did you kind of grapple with that yeah what was that like it was it's it's a Making the, the experience making Kidnap for Christ was so interesting to me because at that point in my life, I had seen religion do wonderful things mm. in people's lives. I had seen people that uh, really, like, they had tried so many other things that didn't work to improve their lives, and they really, um, they embraced religion, and Christianity in particular, and really, uh, you know, just u- used religion 
as a a way to improve their lives and really change their lives for the better. A salvation. As salvation. And I and I'd seen that and it was beautiful and amazing and and that to me is what religion is and what at that point in my life what it was. And then to be a part of this film, uh, Kidnapped for Christ, uh, and learning about Christian, quote unquote, Christian conversion therapy camps. Um, and also just to be a part of the LGBT community in a very open way for the first time and seeing sort of the hatred that came towards that community, especially at that time, um, from the Christian community to the LGBT community, I was sort of like in the middle. And I, I felt like I wanted to scream because I wanted to scream at the LGBT community saying, look, not all Christians are like this. Yeah. Like, like so many Christians are amazing, amazing people. I wanted to scream at the Christian community saying like, look, not all gay people are like this. And like, you need to call out these other people that are, that are creating a bad name for everybody because they are hurting kids yeah. in the name of God. And like, you need to like take care of that. You know, it's your responsibility. And so I just, I, there's a long time where I felt very frustrated with both the LGBT community and the Christian community. And I still do sometimes, but uh, I think it's getting better. <laughs> what is your relationship with your religion like now? Um, I still go to church, not as much, but um, I still go to church, and I still have friends that I made in church. Um, do you still identify as being raised Catholic or not Catholic? No, just Christian. Okay, um, I was raised Christian, and it was weird because in my family, I was always like I had I first became part of the church in middle school, in youth group, because yeah. a friend of mine brought me to youth group. So it was something I sort of discovered myself, and it was never forced upon me. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think I liked it so much, and I cherished it, is because it was something I discovered, and it was something that I valued, and it was a part of my identity, rather than somebody that just goes up going to church, like grows up going to church and has to sit there and like, you know, zone out while they're reading hymns. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, yeah. So yeah, so it's still it's still an important part of my life. Um, maybe I have other important things that you know I find that balance. But um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I definitely still identify as a Christian. This is kind of off topic, but I always think about I'm very like, mystified by the concept of death. Like I always mm -hmm. have in my entire life, and yeah. I think because I'm afraid to die because mm -hmm. of the unknown. Like I'm just curious. Like what do you think happens when? Oh, oh, <laughs> wow, we're taking a hard right turn. Well, you're like, oh, that's so great about your life. And um, what about when you die? Oh, uh, shit. I um, really think about it all, like all the time. I don't know why. You do. You know what? I think, I think that there have been too many coincidences in my life and things that have happened that have been connected to certain people for me to believe that we are all not connected to some higher power. And... I mean, you know, my, my judge, people might judge me for this, but, like, do I believe that, you know, some of that stuff in the Bible happened? Like, you know, this guy was swallowed by a whale. This guy fit all these animals on a little on a boat. This guy did this. Uh, do I believe that everything happened exactly as it is in the Bible? Probably not. But do I believe that we can take the Bible and use those lessons as metaphors and apply them to our lives? Yes. Do I believe historically that there was a man named Jesus that believed so much in helping others that he died for it? Right. Yes. So can we take that as 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 an example of mm -hmm. like how to live and what to do? Yes. Do I think that there's a 
a man that looks like a skinny Santa Claus that sits in the clouds and looks down upon us and wags his finger like when we're doing something bad and smiles when we're doing something good? Like, probably not. Yeah. But do I do I absolutely think that we are all connected and that there is a higher power and that uh, there is a purpose for this life? Right. And there is something after death? Yes. Yeah. How do you justify the the free will versus like um fate or like do you like do you believe and i'm only asking you these questions because i think it's important for someone who identifies as lgbt mm-hmm. and also as religious to yeah. get your perspective on it yeah listen i think that <laughs> damn sorry to put you on yeah, the spot no, it's, you're like let's just move this recorder a little closer and is everybody hearing the hesitant, the nervousness? The, no, no, no. Don't be nervous. I'm just going to pretend to pass out and get out of the rest of this. Uh, no, no, I honestly, I think that... Um, because I think there's a kind of a part, like, both. Can you know, I'll tell you this. If there was a way to ignore... Uh, if there was a way to create your own fate, if it were completely up to you making your own decisions, um, I would have prayed the gay away so many times and in some ways my life would be easier. Mm. Um, but I wasn't able to do that, and I do genuinely think that I am created the way I am for a purpose, yeah. and that now, looking back, like I would not be a fraction of the human I am now if I was able to take the easy way out and to change myself to conform to society instead of being forced to go on that journey of finding my own place in society as I am. Yeah. And so I think that may, you know, maybe there's fate, maybe there's, you know, maybe it's all free will, maybe it's a combination of both, but I do genuinely believe that, um, you know, that, that there is a purpose for a lot of us and, you know, we only achieve that purpose when we, when we decide to, to be ourselves and to not try to conform to the plans that we think society has for us. Yeah. That was, well, that a, that was well said. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Makes sense. For sure. Yeah. Don't worry. We'll be right back. If you haven't gathered by listening to the Hamptons to Hollywood podcast or from reading the content on hamptonstohollywood.com, we like wine. Like a lot. Fortunately for Angelinos, wine is at a premium in California, and the Bay Area's wine country is just a simple plane ride or road trip away. To round out Pride Month, I wanted to let you guys in on an event that not only celebrates wine, but also the LGBTQ community. It's called Out in the Vineyard, a weekend of wine tasting and revelry in Sonoma, California. The weekend goes from July 18th to the 21st, and boasts a ton of activities like a pool party, winemaker dinners, a dance party, even a drag brunch. You can still buy tickets, and I really hope you do. Just head to outinthevineyard.com for more details and to grab a slot before they're all out. You know, I was thinking about, I think the first thing I ever saw you in Acton was... And I didn't. I didn't even know you were in this yeah. movie. But I went to like a press screening of what was it called? Um, oh God! It was about like it. It flipped the, the. There was a female protagonist, and it flipped the gay and straight world. Love is all you need. Love is all you need. Yeah. Female director, writer, director. Yeah. 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 And um, 
And didn't you have like, wasn't your character kind of religious in that yeah, movie too? Yeah, I was a, I was essentially like somebody, the modern day equivalent of like a Westboro Baptist Church member with a megaphone uh, screaming <laughs> that uh, was that all the straight people are going to go to hell. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which was. It was, a, it, was, it was really uh, an interesting movie. It was really cool. It was and, really cool. Yeah, yeah and, and it was an interesting character, too. I went home every night, like, kind of sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, because to get into that character, you do a lot, a lot of research. And there are people that live like that all the time. Right. And they, they, you know, you, you still have people uh, carrying signs like the God hates fags and this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was who that character was based off of. So... Yeah, that was a that was a tough. But I'm glad you liked the film. It was really great. Yeah, and I was watching. I was like, oh, there's Mike. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. yeah. Um, what about like? Do you find it difficult to when you're playing a character like that? That's yeah. um, you know hard to get, or you know that's a difficult character. Do you find it hard to shed that at the end of every day or at the end of filming? Or do you find that some of your characters like stay with you still? Or yeah. Uh, yeah, there, I mean, there are definitely some characters that um, that you just you, you basically show up on set, you be yourself, and then you 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 know try to be open and present and work with the other actors, and then you leave. And then there are other there are other characters like on Major Crimes, <clears throat> I took a girl hostage at gunpoint, and I'm in the middle of a field screaming at everybody, and I have this gun to her head, and I killed somebody earlier in that episode, and um, and that was definitely uh, like that was a tough character to shake. I, I would go home and I'm like, wow, like. I, you know the adrenaline's through the roof and right. but then like it's I mean that's hopefully something I'll never have to do in <laughs> real life uh, so yeah a few of those there was another film too that I did it was called Delirium and it was a horror film and I was the lead um, but it was essentially it was a story of like five guys that go into this haunted oh, house saw it, really, yeah. and then um, and then they're locked in this house and it starts playing tricks with their minds and there's a ghost and everything and, and with that film we shot on location uh, and we shot mostly night shoots, so we would sleep during the day and then mm. shoot during the night at this uh, at this mansion in Northern California that's actually considered to be haunted. And uh, and we were and like, we would I, you know one by one I like watch my friends die and all this other stuff and I'm crying and I'm upset and yeah. and so in that movie I think we only had because it was it was an uh, okay budget but it was still an indie film so I think we had like three weeks to shoot. And at the end of those three weeks, not only was I nocturnal because <laughs> yeah. I was staying up all night, but I was just like, man, I feel like I went through war. Wow. I feel like I went through war. I actually just did a war movie um, really? that'll come out, I believe, at the end of the year um, called D-Day. And in that movie, it's a, it's a movie about World War II, mm. D-Day. Yeah. And uh, and that's that was a, a tough movie to do, too, because... Uh, that was you know, getting to that place of like going to war, uh, <laughs> which nowadays is becoming more and more of a possibility, Seriously. which is kind of terrifying. Oh, you worked with like some really cool people too. Like you've worked with some really seasoned actors before. Like, do you have any like where you were a, a time that you were most starstruck? Um, well, I just did a movie, uh, and I haven't talked about this in an interview yet. Mm. I, I just did a movie uh, called *Son of the South*. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's um, it's Barry Brown and Spike Lee, and that is it's a it's a film about the sort of the birth of the civil rights movement, but it's through the eyes of these like young white college students 
Uh, and uh, it's a really, really interesting story. So Brian Dennehy was in that, and Cedric the Entertainer was in that, wow. and uh, a handful of other great cast members. And that was probably one of my more fun fit projects I've done to date. I'm very, very excited for it to come out. That's really exciting. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah, I just... Um, I interviewed the writer of Black Klansman who made, who did Spike Lee, who Spike yeah. Lee directed Black Klansman, yeah. and uh, yeah, a parallel connection, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was just doing a little bit of research on you, and you said that on during your time in the real world, you were, you were afraid of, like, possibly getting married in the future because of, you know, that, the religious kind of thing mm-hmm. that we were talking about. Yeah. Um, but now you are married Mm -hmm. and what would you say to your real world self now oh man if i were i was so i've always been a hopeless romantic and my biggest fear in accepting that i was you know was a part of the lgbt community was i was like man i might never have a traditional family yeah i might never fall in love i might never get married um and i you know i really I really wanted that for myself, you know. I wanted the, the house and the yard and the dogs and the white picket fence and. I still want those things. Yeah, 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 yeah still. <laughs> um, but uh, and and I am happy to say that I've I've got some of that now, and uh, it's just <laughs> the person I'm holding hands with looks a little different. Uh, has a little more facial hair than maybe my my earlier imaginings. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was like that was one of the things that I was was most afraid of is to not be able to achieve those things, and um, and I you know I have that now. So would you kind of reassure your and, and what I yeah what I would do to that person is I would. I would go up to, to him, I would shake him, and I would say, stop worrying about everything. Yeah. Stop it. Because, and I still do this, but like we, most, 99% of the things we fear never end up happening. Mm. We, we spend so much energy just going through worst case scenario after worst case scenario in our head and yeah. rethinking, oh, I should have said this, I should have done this, I should living with so much regret. And I would just like, I would tell myself, if I could say one thing to myself, you know, 10 years ago, it would say like, Listen, man, just take a deep breath and calm down. Like, it'll all work out. Yeah. Stop stressing about what you can't control, mm-hmm. and then try and control what you can, and then just trust that like you'll get through it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Which is that's great. It's good advice. It, and I. And hearing myself say it, I'm to like, hear it. I need to. I, well, I need to take that today. Okay. I still stress out today. Exactly. So I, you know, we're gonna be doing like a recap, like a. A reunion interview ten years from now, and you'd be like, Mike, what would you say? <laughs> say the same right thing. You give yourself the same advice. Yeah, yeah. But well, great. Well, thank you so much for for doing this. I don't want yeah. to take up all your time. Is there anything else you'd like to add? If I am able to plug anything, yeah. It's um, if people Please. like on everything on social media, I'm like just Mike C Manning. Yeah. Um, and if people want to, I'm still producing. I'm, I'm still acting. So if they want to keep updated on some of the projects I have coming out. Um, I also recently just started a chocolate company. Oh, I've heard about uh, yeah, that. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So I just started nude? a chocolate, nude chocolate company. Okay, yeah. Nude. I saw it at Steve's gym. Yeah, exactly. So it's because, uh, you know, so many chocolate bars have like preservatives and other things. And this is just like no, no added sugar, just like nothing but the chocolate. And like oh, we also God. have reishi mushrooms Ooh. and other herbs in the chocolate. 
So right now we have the mind bar, the body bar, and the soul bar. Oh, I think I'd be very into this. Yeah, yeah, and it's seventy percent dark chocolate. Perfect. Um, so and each one like like has different ingredients in it for oh, different it. benefits. So like the the soul bar, for instance, has like lavender, uh, chamomile, wow. and tulsi, and like a lot of these herbs that you hear about when people make tea. Yeah. To, like calm down, um, but now we just put it in chocolate, and then like the mind bar has like. Katuaba and ashwagandha and ginkgo biloba and like oh, for yeah. mental clarity and focus. So like each bar has different things. Yeah, this is. You should cool. check it out. Yeah, I will. I'll bring. I'll bring you one for the next the next interview. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Cool. When did you? Is that it's like officially launched and everything? It's, it's officially right? launched. It's, Where can people we're get in, it? We're, uh, we have our website is um, eatnudebars.com. Uh, that's eatnudebars.com. Don't go to eat. Don't go to Nude Chocolate because that's a very different website. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had some people make that mistake. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I think, I think it was like a, like an aunt of mine. That's like, amazing. I tried to buy some of your chocolate and those are things I can't unsee. <laughs> Whoops. Um, but yeah, so it's eatnudebars.com and, uh, and we're going to do like a whole line of, of stuff. And it's just something fun to do on the side and just to... That's really exciting. You know, making, and, and so I'm doing it with two friends of mine, um, Matt Postlewaite. Apostle F- Matt Postle oh, Matt and Scott Postle Wait, no relation, which is weird. Oh, that is weird. Yeah, um, but so Matt's an actor and Scott works in in real estate and he has a business and we just came together and we're like, hey, why don't we start a chocolate company? Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah I'll definitely try that out. Yeah, cool. Please do.